I figured as a Canadian, you would be a little bit tougher. Jonathan Papelbon is the douche that you guys thought he was. Largest head I've ever been around. A good rack of ribs is tough to beat. My main apology for this is now the podcast art is a lie. Welcome to episode seven of Digging In with JP and Sebia. I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne. Contrary to popular belief, I am alive. Uh, we apologize to the viewers that this got delayed. I know that uh, JP's not too happy about it, but you know we're in the studio together today, so it which, all worked out for the best. Which I can vouch, you are alive, and you're now you don't have a hair on your face, which you got sick, you're on your deathbed, I, didn't, I don't know what was going on with you, and then all of a sudden I see you and you have no hair, so you've gone from the grizzly man to now you're clean shaven to then also becoming my mother as well <laughs> which for the podcast now we can enjoy this is our relationship is it's evolving i guess it is it is and yesterday uh you wanted to make sure that i was here at 10 in the morning and the good part is is that past that i was like all right cool and i continued to read the text and it said so please do not booze too much so that you can be here in the morning and i was like uh okay mom so now you're uh also my co-host slash my mother but i appreciate this that's why you're good at what you do because you care that much i care i'd say i, I care as much maybe as your mother i'd like to think i have a different way of going about things please do not booze is the kind of formal language i think hopefully people trust i would not have used in a text <laughs> to be fair um, as far as my face goes, yeah, I was tired of it. I, I went for a change and... Was it a girl that told you that? Because usually when somebody's... And you're laughing. See, you're laughing because usually if it's a it's somebody that it, when a guy makes a change like that, it's a female that's telling them you need to shave. So is that true or false? I'm not, I'm not going to comment on it, but I will say, you know, I'm my own person with my own decisions to, to be made. And also... Uh, my, my main apology for this is now the podcast art is a lie because it does not look like me anymore. So if you guys see the digging in logo, uh, it's a little bit misleading. So now. what you're saying is now people won't recognize you on the streets. You will have the, the fans will not be able to, to bother you as much. And yeah. I mean, that to... was part of the decision. You know, I was tired of being harassed. Yeah. Just people are, <laughs> I, I did see, uh, just groups and crowds running <laughs> after Nick Ash burn. Oh God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Whatever. We'll see how that goes, uh, you know, tonight. So, the Blue Jays. The purpose of this podcast is not to talk about my chin and its existence. So, today, we're going to talk a little bit about Randall Gritchick because I think he's been a really interesting case in a team that has certainly struggled of late. We saw what happened in Tampa. The team always seems to struggle in Tampa. But Gritchick, since he came back from his injury, hitting three oh eight. 357 on base, slugging over 600. And there aren't a lot of guys on this team right now who feel like they could be part of sort of the next wave of the Blue Jays. But at 26, Gritchick really is in that realm. So he had this horrible start that I think made a lot of people sour on him. But what do you see, JP, in terms of what he can bring the Blue Jays going forward? Well, for me, one thing is, is I like to see that he's driving the ball again because he is a guy that he can hit over 20 home runs in the outfield and play above above average defense and so when you have Kevin Pillar who obviously is other than Kevin Kiermeyer the best defender in center field uh, statistically you have his numbers in right field so you have a you have a pretty much a shutdown three quarter or three, two thirds of, a, of an outfield so that's one thing that's special but when you can hit home runs like that 
it's even more special. Now it comes with the consistency, right? How can I keep my average in a, in a respectable place, my on-base percentage, all these different things so that I'm still producing when I'm not hitting home runs? Well, I think early in the year, obviously he dealt with some stuff, but for me, what I what's encouraging is he's hitting home runs off fastballs. In this game, you look at all the numbers, guys who struggle. I, uh, Kevin Pilar, I talked with him not too long ago. He, you know, how he started super hot and he was falling off. His average on fastballs was like I think over a hundred over a time over the time that he was struggling. Right, hitters when they get into these funks, they miss fastballs, and what happens is is people get paid to throw you or to to get you out with off speed. So now that happens, you miss the fastball, you miss your opportunity. Now you're out. Well, now he's not missing the opportunities. He's going up there. He's swinging early. He's aggressive. Even his outs against Tampa, he had some line drive outs. Like he's not missing the fastball. And that's what, if he can consistently do that, then the Blue Jays will get what they expected. Fans will see what this guy really is. But now when you're talking about for the future of this team, he's undoubtedly one of the guys that you can go, okay, if we're looking on a field at the field, where can we put our fingers on the guys that we can keep around here for a while? Because that's what you need to do when you need to build a team. And he's one of those guys. Yeah. And, and like I said before, I think that's such a rare thing with the Blue Jays right now. You know, Justin Smoke, he's got an option for next year. That's it. Russell Martin, one more year on the deal. Donaldson gone at the end of this year. A lot of the rotation leaving. Everyone loves to talk about Vladdy, and so it's like, the future is Vladdy, but you need a lot more players to fill out a team. And he is one of those guys, considering his age and considering his skills, who could be help bridge the gap to that next wave. And those skills, for me, when you play good defense, you're never going to be useless. You know what I mean? So he plays such good defense in right field. He's a former gold glove winner in the minor leagues at that position that even when he goes cold, things aren't really that bad. And when he gets hot, suddenly he's this really good all-around player and he's has a skill set I've always really liked it's not that dissimilar from Teoscar Hernandez like a guy who strikes out a lot doesn't walk that much but has the huge power that game changing over- power. yeah he can overcome that even if his his approach will frustrate people at times he's gonna wave at some bad pitches sometimes yeah but you have to here's the thing though you can't think about this is frustrate who who cares right as a hitter all the best hitters swing and miss Adam Jones he was just in, in town. He's in 280, 290. He hits 300 every year pretty much. He had seven walks on the year. He doesn't ever walk. And if you watch his at-bats, he's going to swing and miss at terrible pitches. But when you throw him a fastball, he doesn't miss it. That's what all the best hitters do. The problem is, is as fans or anything, all we do is we watch highlights. You watch one team in particular, and so you'll watch that game. But the rest of it is on ESPN watching whatever, whoever, you know, whatever – channel you watch for sports and all of a sudden you see highlights well what do you see in highlights you see home run home run base hit base hit you never see the two brutal swings that he took to get to that pitch to hit a home run so the swing and miss it happens everywhere the thing is is when you watch a one team you're going to see more of the bad stuff as opposed to seeing just the highlights again for me he is a guy who is going to be very very special to watch same thing with Teoscar and this is one thing that's valuable in baseball. And they used to always say this. This is one thing with me with I had power. You're in scoring position the second you stand in the bo- in the batter's box. And there's not a lot of people that can say that, right? In which obviously that means I can hit a ball out at any point. Now I just drove in a run. There's very few people that have the ability to do that over 20 times a year. 
there's two guys in that outfield. And I think Kevin Pillar even has the power as he continues to develop at a 20 home run guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to be in the double digits, obviously, but he's a guy that can, can do that as well. But if you have that kind of defense, that kind of power, that kind of production, now you have a really, really good outfield. And then again, yeah, you look at the infield. But there, you, you can't just – Vladdy's not going to solve – in baseball, there's not a LeBron James. You can't just have one guy and kill the world and be the best player on the field, and then you still win the game. Yeah, that just doesn't if work there were, way. Trout would have a bunch of rings by yeah, now. He would, he would literally be the World Series MVP, and they would win every World Series, because. but he, that's not this game. You have to be able to piece people, and that's why, yeah, when you, when you build a team, you have to be able to go, okay, how does this guy help us? How does this guy make this guy better? Is there speed in front of Vladdy Guerrero, or is there speed in front of Grichuk? Because now, as a catcher, I have to call more fastballs, and this guy hits fastballs for home runs, right? Like, there's there's intangibles that go into making a lineup and to making a team that can make other guys better, and that's a big part of it. It's not just one dude. Yeah, it's, it's interesting in this particular case for me that after sort of 100 at-bats, a lot of people were willing to bury him. And I know he didn't have the best season in 2017 either, so I understand the the impetus to do that but at the end of the day sometimes you have to look beyond the stat sheet and look at what the skill set is and that for me this is a guy that has so many different skills that you know even if he's not a superstar he he's could definitely be a piece he can definitely be a starter and I think he's showing us right now sort of what a good Grichuk in right field every day looks like well you can't here's my thing too and this is a quick you can't base a year off of a guy that's been shuffled up and down it's just there's a there's a psyche, there's a part. It's why Jose Bautista became Jose Bautista. He was a platoon guy his entire career, and all of a sudden he came to a team and they said, you're our everyday guy. And then all of a sudden, Jose Bautista, boom, boom, Bautista was born, hitting 40, 50 home runs a year because he had that opportunity. So you can't look at a, at a, at a line or stats when a guy hasn't been given the opportunity every day. Now, at the end of this year, when he's been the guy and, you, and he knew he was a guy, okay, now you say, hey, well, this is what it is. But last year, you can't go off of that because when guys are up and down and well, one day he's our guy, the next week he's, oh, we're going to send him down or he's not playing every day. It's hard to be very good and consistent when you're doing that, especially at the highest level. So when, it, when somebody doesn't have a full – you need to have a full chance, a full opportunity, and if, he, if it goes good, you know what you got. If it goes bad, you kind of know what you got. You have, I think, rather accidentally provided a perfect segue into our guest, who is one of the most uh, jerked around outfielders I can remember in recent history uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays, unfortunately. Um, Travis Snyder will be joining us later. I unfortunately did not provide any kind of promo off the top for him, but we're really excited to have him on. This is a guy who was one of the top prospects in Blue Jays history and then had a couple of successful years and ended up getting shipped out of town. I think a lot of people were sad about that because he really was a fan favorite. So we're going to have Travis join us now to talk baseball um, and, you know, inevitably to talk a little bit of meat Food. as well because yeah. the the guy is... A, Lunchbox hero. Yeah, he's a legend in more than one field. So we're now joined by Travis Snyder. So by popular demand by fans uh, of the podcast and fans in, in Canada and just of, of Travis Snyder in general... Uh, we have Mr. Lunchbox Hero with us, and everybody wants to know where uh, Travis is these days and what he's doing, and so we want to be able to 
bring him on. So we have Travis with us. And Travis Esnaide, my brother from another mother, talk to me. How you doing? Where you at? How's baseball? How's life? Uh, still living the dream out here in Long Island, New York, playing for the Long Island Ducks of the Atlantic League. It's an independent professional baseball league, which up until this year I had zero knowledge of what that meant. But thus far, the experience has been a lot of fun, getting to know a great group of guys, playing to win every night, uh, a lot of differences from affiliated baseball and obviously the big leagues but a lot of things that can be made into positives and and an opportunity for me to continue my career so all is well on that front um you know obviously family got a little boy now and uh wife and i are very excited that uh, his progress just you know obviously being healthy and happy but how excited he is every day when he wakes up and how excited he is to share that with mommy and daddy Travis, you were touching on the differences between affiliated ball and what you're doing now. When I talk to JP often, he talks about how the minor leagues, in a sense, are even more fun than the major leagues because you're not being watched the whole time. You can kind of be yourself. I imagine that that's almost taken to the next level at, in, at independent ball. What's that atmosphere like in terms of the ability to be loose and be yourself when there really, you know, there isn't the constraints of the media and a bunch of guys can just sort of let it hang out there? Yeah, I think you said it best. Um, when you deal with the difference between the big leagues and the minor leagues uh, and what JP's saying, it's exactly true. Um, as you get into independent baseball compared to affiliated minor league baseball, uh, it's even more so in the sense of, you know, the way each organization runs their minor league system, there are uh varying focal points from organization to organization. And that can be as simple as what kind of clothes you're forced to wear to the field each and every day, how you shave your face, um, this, that, whatever. Or, you know, from a baseball philosophy side, how they want things to be done uh, as a whole. And depending on the organization, it can get very uh, specific in what they want to see from guys and how they're going to run their organization. And here, the Long Island Ducks do a great job of putting guys in a position to go out and just play the game and give us that opportunity each and every night to put the uni on, strap up the spikes, go out there and compete. And we got uh, a solid coaching staff who keeps it loose. We have a lot of fun with it. And there's not the, the underlying bosses to be that you deal with in the affiliated side of things so definitely it's a looser atmosphere and it's a just go out there and win kind of kind of place well you know with, with this with this show we talk a lot about different things and one of them is food uh we we always have different kind of food conversations with with guys i've obviously been around you for a long time everybody knows you Uh, for a lot of your your food inquiries and the lunchbox hero the difference how has been the difference uh between you know now with the food how it works in in uh, independent ball or or you know and have you found a lot of spots are you still going out there and, and hitting the streets and getting into the meat sweats or have you have you uh grown up in the sense of with your food and now you're trying to be like me i'm counting calories and trying to keep my figure What do you got going on? Well, 
I think depending on it's kind of like the you know the Meyer leagues. I feel like AAA got better the last few years compared to you know when you and I first got there. There's a lot more spreads that were edible. Um, I'd say here there's they do a good job at home providing uh, food and some decently healthy choices. I know with the knowledge that we have learned over the course of our careers being exposed to all different types of uh, people that are smarter than us and know more about food and how to eat it properly. I try and, and balance that um, lunchbox hero mindset with uh, obviously maintaining my boyish figure during the baseball season because, you know, I don't want to just blow up over the course of six months and you know, if you get an opportunity to go play somewhere and they're looking at you like, what have you been doing for the last three or four months? So I think it's something where we also, as you know, during the season, you don't have as much time to go out to eat. And when you do, you know, in the big leagues or in AAA even, uh, more so the big leagues, it's, you know, travel days, not, uh, night after a day game, those type of uh, situations where when my wife and kid were here and, Someday you'll understand this. Uh, going to dinner with a year-and-a-half-year-old kid uh, is quite an adventure, and it makes it tough for uh, mommy and daddy to really enjoy the food that they're probably paying um, more money than they would be if we just stayed at home and were able to enjoy our meal with him strapped into a high chair uh, and, and maybe a glass of wine or something like that to keep us sane. So I would say since the family was out here, there was definitely less going out to eat. We snuck out a few times, had a few good meals. Um, but you know me, I'm a steak, steak snob. So at some point I'm going to sneak into a, a steakhouse around here and give it a whirl and see what it's all about. But for the most part, we, uh, we were eating, you know, I was eating dinners and stuff at the field and doing the standard Chipotle mobile order which is a real clutch app and then uh you know breakfast is always kind of our time when the family's in town where we're sitting down together and eating so you know that's that's kind of the transition i've made from being an older man and being a father and a husband that you know we still like to go out to eat it's just it's harder to do that all right before we let you go on the topic of food i feel like you know we got to get a couple more questions in so i got two for you i know you're a connoisseur of meats i like to think of myself the same way so i throw some five of my favorite meats at you and have you rank them top to bottom pulled pork brisket ribs bacon steak what do you got one to five uh steak bacon brisket and ribs is a tough decision um and pulled pork, but I love them all. I think they're all they're all good meat. You gotta, someone's gotta be last. I know that it's controversial, but you need to make a decision. I'm gonna go with pulled pork. Just and it's not a knock on pulled pork, but you know, brisket's one of those things where it's 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 like a delicacy. But if you eat too much of it, you're gonna know. And ribs, I feel like I can eat a lot more of. And a good a good rack of ribs is tough to beat. So definitely steak, bacon. You know, I'll throw ribs in the three hole just because they're consistent. Uh, brisket, like I said, is a fine. It's a it's a delicacy. It's got to be done right, and you can't overdo it. And then, in in the five spot, pulled pork is is still a real solid option. Yeah, the, no complaints about pulled pork. Pulled pork's a good day. Number two, JP yeah. has helped organize for me a rib eating contest between me and Kevin Pilar, potentially a club as well. There's a lot of moving parts, but there's going to be a rib eating contest. 
I know that back in the day you were a legend in terms of quantity of food eaten. What's the best advice you can give me in terms of putting down the most ribs? Uh, I think my PR for rib eating at uh, Tony Roma's in Linwood, Washington was roughly 46. What is the sage wisdom in terms of how to get it done? Uh, make sure you eat as fast as you can, as I've learned in many of endeavors with eating much more than I should, that if you allow yourself too much time from start to finish, you're going to get full. So the best, the best advice I can give you is just power through it and uh, don't stop until you have to. I'll try there and keep go. that in mind. I'll... So you better let your hair down and just go as hard as you can because I've seen Snyder take down ample amount of ounces of meat. I think it was close to seven. Was it seventy-two? The one time in the Burn Steakhouse, you went, you went pretty firm on in Burn Steakhouse, and it was pretty impressive. I don't know if we had an exact ounce. Um, I know in Milwaukee, I had a forty-ounce prime rib, which was pretty disgusting. Um, <laughs> And, and enjoyable, but also regrettable. So, you know, I've had a few of these nights where I felt like it was a good idea to do it. And yeah, I think 40 is the most in prime rib, which is a, a very rich meat, as we all know. And then, you know, I've had a number of cookouts, JP, as you're aware of, and I've attended in the past where, you know, we just throw slabs of ribeyes and fillets and New York's on the grill. And, you know, I don't really keep track of the ounces but i'm sure i've flirted with that you know 40 50 range before yeah he he gets after it and and we've we've always listen we've always had a great time eating uh now to move on i i do have a baseball question and i think you're you're like one of the the best guys to be able to talk about this you were in the major leagues at a very very young age and you were you know you flew through the ranks obviously now and i don't know how closely you follow the jays but everyone wants Vladdy Jr., Vladdy Jr., he's in double A, he's hitting 400, Vladdy Jr. needs to be in the big leagues. Do you think that it's, at what point do you think, I think sometimes guys are rushed, sometimes guys are held back t too much. What, do you, what are your views on guys getting to the big leagues at such a young age, one, and two, what are your views, do you think that it's too soon? Do you think for you, would you have rather maybe have a little bit more weathering? What do you think on this kind of topic? I think, as you know, JP, the culture, the clubhouse that you come into as a young player is very important. And I say that having had a lot of great role models, you know, from Roy Holiday to Vernon Wells, Aaron Hill, some, some great guys. But as a young player, when you struggle, um, if you struggle, because there's, there's a handful of guys that don't, um, you know, the Mike Trouts of the world, but when you struggle inevitably – are you prepared to deal with that? And I don't know Vladdy Jr. Um, at all. I have seen, you know, clips of some of the amazing things that he can do back in our old stomping ground there in Manch Vegas. And, you know, for me, I, I can't say whether or not he's ready because I haven't seen him play. I don't know the kid. But I think you and I can both attest to the fact of what type of clubhouse you walk into as, as a 20, 21-year-old, 19-year-old, whatever. The support system has to be there uh, in place. Uh, understanding the personality of, of that kid, we'll use that term because, you know, he's barely a man. And also knowing, you know, is he coming into a situation where he's going to have a leash or is he coming into a situation where he's playing well and the team in the major league level wants to win? 
and they're going to bring them up. And it's not to say that people can't succeed in that environment uh, as young players because it's happened, but it's also kind of a fine line when a guy comes up and if he gets off to a hot, hot start, which a lot of guys do, and then eventually he cools off because the league starts adjusting to him and he's struggling for a little while to make those adjustments, uh, you know, can he handle a demotion to AAA? And that's something I think a lot of front office people hope, you know, when a kid comes up that they're never going to have to send him down. But I know I was not uh, in the right state of mind when I went to Vegas for the first time uh, and the business kind of punched me in the mouth for the first time while I was down there and you realize how great everything was up until that point. But you can also lose perspective on what this is all about, man. It's going out and playing games and, and, and playing hard and having fun and, and winning baseball games. And as you can attest to, that gets lost sometimes along the struggle. All right, Travis, uh, we really appreciate you sharing your wisdom, both in, uh, you know, the lighter meat side, well, I guess not lighter, quite heavy, and on uh, the baseball side and, you know, for having patience with me personally to recover from death's door and do this interview with us. You know, I, I figured as a Canadian you would be a little bit tougher, but we'll let this one slide for now. All right, well, uh, I'll try to live up to my heritage going forward. Yeah, gloves off. I like that. Snyder, Snyder will never let you off the hook. He didn't with me, so I, I love him. I just waited for the third period to throw that blow, so I appreciate <laughs> you guys having me on, man. All right, Snyder. Nice. Keep having fun Not in Long good. Island. I will. You take care, guys. All right, so for this week's Memory Lane, uh, because the podcast has been delayed, this is uh, a little bit farther in the past than I generally like to go. But last week, beginning of last week, Matt Scherzer pitched an immaculate inning. So for those who don't know, because I think it's a not very well-publicized baseball thing, an immaculate inning is an inning that's nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, all the guys sit down on the plate. And I think at the plate, they sit down in the dugout. Yeah, they can, you can sit down at the plate, <laughs> but it's not gonna. They're gonna eventually have to move you. Yeah, it's not gonna be a good scene. It would probably make a good viral clip, though. You'll get some. You'll get some love on Instagram. Anyway, it's only been done 91 times in MLB history, so that's something that I think that we know of. To be fair, there, I'm sure there's some games in the olden days we don't have the proper tracking of, but 91 times that we know of that this has been done, compared to 299 no hitters. So this is a really weirdly rare event that I think isn't appreciated, and that's why I wanted to go through it with you, because you have caught one of the immaculate innings. And this actually would have been a good JP career trivia, now that I think about it. But I would have known it. I would have got it. it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, Oakland, Oakland, Steve <laughs> Delabar. I do that. I, I know this stuff. July, well, I could have asked for the exact date. <laughs> Give it now. July 30th, 2013. What do you remember about that? And I think maybe, hopefully, it's magnified a little bit in terms of game calling, too, because everything you called, in a sense, was perfect. Everything that happened was perfect. How much credit can you take, uh, you know, not to take anything away from Delabar, but what was that like? I, I mean, I really don't have to. I, I can't take credit because, honestly, that one is, it happens by chance, right? Like, there, there's a lot of luck that's involved, but also you have to have really, really good stuff. Like, Immaculate innings. If we go down the list of guys that have oh, it's Koufax. Yeah, Scherzer's it's, got two. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's good you have guys. to have A plus stuff, 
And so this is when Delavar was like 98 with a 90 mile an hour, 91 mile an hour splitter. And I remember his control was locked in that day. So it was like... Which wasn't always the case. Which Exactly. <laughs> so I, I knew that once he went out, I was like, oh, I remember it, right? Going like, holy smokes, this dude's locked in today. And it was like fastball, fastball, split, see you later. Like split, fastball, fastball, frozen pizza, sit in the sit in the bench. Like go, go sit in the truck is what we would say. And the next guy, same thing. And it was like, you, you finish in and you're like, holy crap, he just struck out the side on nine pitches. You don't realize it while it's going on. You just know like, dude, this, all right, I'm put, as a catcher, I'm going, okay, what am I putting down next? What am I putting down next? Ne- one guy out, next guy, okay. Inning ends and you go, dude, you just struck out the side on nine pitches. That was pretty insane. But what's funny is, it's not even for players. It's not something that it's like, hey, dude, do you, this was, how awesome was this? Like, no, I just went down and he, I just struck. He'd probably say, I'd rather get him out in four pitches, right? Like, give me a ground ball, give me a ground ball, and then take a pitch and pop it up. Like, they'd rather be done in four pitches, but it's not a big thing for players either. It's funny because I feel like, if anything, you hear more about those four strikeout innings. Like, some, when Octavio Dotel had that four strikeout inning, people went crazy fat. I think this, in a lot of ways, is more impressive, but it is something that I figured when we talked about it, you would say, you know, it's not a huge deal for players because it's not a huge deal for fans you know like it's a headline on mlb.com but you know fans all around the country aren't like oh my god texting each other did you see max yeah, scherzer no. through an immaculate inning no one yeah and then but players don't players feel that way as well and again honestly most of the time guys want to throw the least amount of pitches and get as many outs as they can right so it's like yeah i threw nine they pitches. want their k's too though yeah they want their k's but at the end of the day you also want to be able to just go out there and get out quick because you also understand that the longer I'm out there, the more people see me, the more opportunity I have to get hurt. And so you want to get it done quick as a pitcher, right? I, I would say most of the guys, if you talk to Scherzer, you'd say, hey, I, you want if I can tell you complete game in 70 pitches or do you want to strike out 15 and have 110 pitches, he'd probably say the 70 pitches. Because at the end of the day, it's less work, Right. The problem is, is strikeouts come because of above average stuff. But think about guys that are high strikeout guys. They're high pitch count guys. And do you know why? This is my quiz for you today. Well, because to get strikeouts, you got to throw out of the zone, right? A lot of the time. And so you're going to get some balls. You're going to throw pitches in the dirt. You're going to throw a lot of off speed. Well, okay. Strikeout guys usually have the nastiest stuff. So when you have the nastiest stuff, it's hard to square up. So think about you, Darvish, and guys like that strike out a lot of guys. They give up a lot of foul balls. Guys are always fouling balls off, fouling balls off. They can't ever put it in play to get out, correct? So it's like foul ball, foul ball, foul ball. All of a sudden, it's strikeout, but it's seven pitches instead of, you know, Mark Burley. He didn't strike out a ton of guys. He struck out a good amount, but not a ton of guys. But guys would put his stuff in play because he's it's not overpowering. Guys that have really good stuff, a lot of movement on their pitches – are high pitch count guys because they get a lot of foul balls, a lot of foul balls. All of a sudden you're like, dude, this guy struck out 10, gave up no runs, and he has 100. Why does he have so many pitches? Well, a lot of times it's tough to square up those guys. Same thing with Max Scherzer. It's funny because we've talked about my uh, failing childhood memory in the past on the show, and I remember 
I remember thinking that I saw this. I looked it up later and it was, again, confirmed did not happen. But in my memory, I remember as a kid going to a Blue Jays game and watching BJ Ryan, I thought, throw an immaculate inning. I'm like, oh, yeah, he threw nine pitches and he struck all the guys out. And in my head, all three of them were strikeouts looking. Like, he never had an outing like that at all. But he would, I don't know where that came from, but it's actually a story I've told to other people. I'm like, man, BJ Ryan used to be nasty. I remember when I went to this game and he, like, and struck it never out. happened? Never happened. I have no idea. But to be fair, BJ Ryan, you know, I probably went to a game and he struck out the side on like 12 pitches. You know what I mean? Like he was ridiculous. Dude, blast he could lock the, guys up. Blast of the past right there. Phenomenal. He was still around when I had signed. A-plus guy. Phenomenal dude. Tough as nails. And he had a slider. He threw hard, obviously, but his slider was insane. And one of the dumb things, fun fact here, largest head I've ever been around. Like like size 8 head. It was insane big maybe maybe that was a part of it part of what made him so good so Torque, air, I guess. dynamic yeah. something like that no yeah he had one of those uh sliders that was really good for locking guys up like right handers they would just sit there and take on the outside corner it. you yeah. couldn't spin it you couldn't see a spin which is why what good sliders do you know you can't pick up any rotation on the ball and then there it is so kind of go home sit in the truck so that you can use that now we used to say when a guy strikes out looking you say frozen pizza or he strikes out, you go, hey, go sit in the truck, dude. And I don't know where that started, but it's it's a thing. It's funny because you uh, have consistently given me shit about the food focus of this, and now we're talking about offo tacos, we're talking about frozen pizza, like all this baseball slang. Food is infused in it. Food is relatable to everyone. That's why it's a good conversation topic. Food is life. Without Without food, we don't have life. So I'm in. All right. We're going to move on to Outside the Nest. Again, this one is a little bit older, but it is a fun debate always. Masahiro Tanaka injured last week on the base paths, and just it just began this huge groundswell of DH. Should we have it everywhere? Should we have it nowhere? Is it cool the way it is where both leagues do their own thing? So I think everyone has their own opinion. I have my own opinion. I grew up with AL Ball. What is your thought on the DH? I... I- there's two sides, right? Com- like the comedy side of me wants pitchers to hit because I love when because pi- pitchers always want to talk about hitting, right? So watching the game, I think it's funny to watch pitchers hit because it's like, see, it's not that easy, dude. Like you guys, puts things in perspective. It, it it does. As a catcher, calling a game with the pitcher in the lineup is much easier because I know how you can pitch around, right? If the guy, if there's a pitcher two batters away, I don't have to give in to the seventh or the eighth hitter because I know that the ninth hitter is a pitcher. Even with two outs, you still have free bases, right? So you can do things like that. Much easier to call a game in the National League pitching around guys to get to the pitcher, right? So that's another thing. Now, I love the American League style because it's a better offensive style game. And if you think about it, what kind of brought baseball back in the days was watching home runs by Bonds, Sosa, McGuire, People, chicks dig the long ball. Fans love offense. American League, very much more of an offensive league. And so for me, I like the American League. That's all I played in was the American League, the National League. I think at some point they're going to have to look at it. I just wish that it was one rule for both leagues Is for me, right? Like every when we come and play each other, just because when it gets to the playoffs, there's one team that obviously has an advantage over the other and it's the national league in the sense of 
when your National League, you have a, you're going to have a guy that can DH for you. That's easy. The American League, when their pitcher has to hit, they don't have that. They're they're in a much more of a deficit. Yeah, I think it's one of those situations for me where if you're talking about what is the best thing for baseball, I would probably say DH in both leagues. Pitchers don't get hurt. You know, it uh, it's more offense, like you said, for the fans. But I do, like you said, comedy reasons. I really like watching those guys go up and hit. I think... How many, how many memes have we seen of Bartolo Colon swinging? And, and his home run made me so happy. Like when I saw Bartolo Colon hit a home run, that brought joy to my day in a way that no David Ortiz home run is ever going to. As great as it is to watch David See, Ortiz. See, but that's comedy, right? That's, that's the comedy part of it. It's now, a long season, though. We need some comedy. It's 162 games. I just think at the end of the day, you need to be able to have one, make it one rule. So everybody, and then it's once it gets in the playoffs. But I think, like you said, injury-wise and, and injury prevention and all these different things, just DH. Have a DH. Everybody have a DH. But I do think it's funny, though, because it just shows, one, how unathletic some pitchers are. Because you pull not one hamstring, you pull both hamstrings. Like, that's pretty comical. And then, again, you see these guys hit. Sometimes it's good. Jay Happ goes out there and freaking rakes. Sometimes it's terrible. Sometimes guys don't even want to. Literally, sometimes guys will just stand in the box and just want zero part of it. And they're like, throw it down the middle. I'm not swinging. I'm out. And that's that's more American League guys that are playing in the interleague. I think you're definitely right in terms of one rule because it does seem weird when we get to the World Series what it's all about, that there's this weird discrepancy there. But also, I think that you don't see that in any other sport. You know, It's not like in the NBA, it's like, oh, in the Western Conference, we've got the four-point line, so you really <laughs> got to watch out for Steph yeah. Curry. But if he comes to Cleveland, like it's only three, so don't worry about it. It's just... It's kind of crazy because there's yeah, no you guys, other sport. You guys have to play two centers on yeah. the in the Western, uh, you know, conference. In the Eastern conference, you can play one center. So they'll have one per. You have one faster guy than the other, and one league and one fast and one less in baseball. You have automatic out for the most part, and so it's it's unfair for the American League hitters in the biggest game of the year. You're in the World Series trying to win a pennant, and you're going, "Hey, dude, you have to hit." and you have two at-bats in the year, right, or three or four, whatever it may be in interleague, and you're facing a pitcher who he does that. He's done that since double-A because that's another thing. In the minor leagues, these guys hit past double-A. Double-A and triple-A, the pitchers hit. In the American League, no pitchers never hit, nowhere near on the way up, and then they just literally grab a bat in the big leagues. They're like, hey, when's the last time you grab a bat? And they're like, dude, in high school I hit. So that's a – I mean, it's a big difference. And also, there's the flip side of it, too, not just the pitchers, the DH. If you have that big David Ortiz-type DH, now you're going to the National League. Oh, sorry, you got to play first base. You haven't played basically any first base all year. Maybe you're an older guy, because that's what the DH is often for, to extend careers. And, you know, maybe you had a good first baseman, too, and you've got nowhere else you can play him. So it does. it shuffles up the game. I understand that the strategy is fun. I really like strategic thinking. I enjoy it, but I think... The logical move is DH. DH, and I think that's where we're going. Well, I hope so. I hope that, we're, and we'll see more homers and less injuries. And I, th yeah, more homers, less injuries. That's a pretty good tagline. Yeah. I think that's what people want from baseball. Let's do it. All right, we're gonna finish off today with JP career trivia, as we do every time. This one is a little bit different. 
because I was trying to, I was looking through, we were talking about hit by pitch last night when we were talking about, we were talking with Luke Maley, uh, with for a video series that you guys are going to really like on Yahoo Canada Sports. Just, you know, watch the Twitter feed every day for the next two or three weeks. It'll come out eventually. It's yeah. really good. Um, so we talk about getting hit by pitches. And so I went and I was like, who's hit JP the most? And so it turns out that no one has hit you more than one time. So instead, the question is, I'm going to ask you is if you can name five pitchers who have hit you in your career, and I'd give you one point for each, and then maybe we can talk about some of the most memorable times you've been being that have stood out to you. So you get five possible points. Right now you are at nine for 13 in terms of trivia. So again, you're cruising in that C plus B minus range that you seem to find acceptable. Yeah, C's get degrees. So this one, I think, I feel like you'll get this. Uh, I can go David Price. Um, I'm looking at the list right here, and David Price is one of them. That is incorrect. David Price has never hit you. Well, I'm trying to think. There, I know there's a lefty who hit me with a backdoor break with the with a breaking ball on my foot. Um, okay, for for sure, Ari Dickey. I know yep. he has. Dickey. For sure, Jonathan Papelbon. Yep. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm trying to. Could it be John Lester? John Lester. Nope. John Lester's not so you got you got one more guess to Damn, salvage dude. a three for five. I'm trying to think because I know there's a lefty that had hit. I thought me. you'd be mad at these guys. You'd remember it. No man, I, I well, was some happy. of them. Are not you kidding me? I, I, dude, I never walked. So when I got hit, I, I was like on base percentage. Let's yeah. go. So that actually, I was never upset about it. Um, the only, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the story after because Papelbon's the one I remember very. Uh, I, I just remember because I was so mad at him. He did it on purpose, but. Um, Man, who? Gosh, I'm. I gotta throw. Let me see if I can throw a name up there that I might have. Cece Sabathia. Let's say that. And I'm gonna say no. No. Yeah. So some notable names on here that I thought maybe you would get Chris Sale. Uh, maybe that'd be the oh, lefty. Oh, that's you're thinking. the one. Yes, he hit me back footer. That was him. Chris Sale, uh, Fernando Rodney. That guy throws hard. Thought yeah, that might me. be memorable. Dice K, just because that's like a blast from the past. Dice K, someone Gosh, I think people forget yeah. pitched. I don't. But. I don't remember him hitting me. All right, so let's let's hear about the one that stands out. The, uh, <sighs> Jonathan Papelbon, which he has oh, a good reputation. Here's an uh, here's a late here's a late one that I bet you, you did you get off of it or you still have it? It's right here. I got him. Carrasco hit me. Carlos Carrasco. Nope. No, apparently wait, wait, uh, you're thinking of Salazar. Salazar, Danny yeah. Salazar, yes, because yeah. I was all over the plate on that one. I remember. Okay, so Papelbon, right? So I, you know, Papelbon, for what it's worth, he's a douche, and he knew it. Everybody knows that he was a douchebag the way he kind of went about his stuff. I mean, it, you, I think everybody can agree with. Yeah, that. I feel like often we don't know athletes as well as we think we do, but in Papelbon's yeah, case, I feel like yeah. everyone knows yeah. him. It's like you're not hiding it. You have a douche literally stamped on your forehead, but. So I was a, I was young, and I remember having really good at-bats against him, and he used to get super mad, right? Like, he was just – and I used to laugh because he would do that whole, like, look at you at the last second kind of thing, and then I would, like, mess around in the box, like, oh. Like, I literally <laughs> would put the face like, oh. Like, it surprised me because I was like, dude, that's so stupid. Like, yeah. stop it. But so I had a really good at-bat against him the night before, and he ended up walking me, right? And so one thing is – and we were in Boston when he did this. So we're in Boston – the next day I face him, he comes you in. You do have a walk. I'm looking. I got the the thing up now. It's like, you do have a walk against Papelbon. So I the story's you, yeah. not a lie. Yeah, yeah, I, no, I'm, it's I'm, it's fact accurate. Yeah, yeah, on, yeah. The, on the go. Real news, not fake right. news. Yeah. So he walks me. And so 
I knew I could tell he was really upset because I'd fouled off a ton of balls. So next day I'm facing him in a big situation, but there's nobody on. So I'm going guaranteed this guy's going to throw first pitch up and in because he's going to try to make it, make me uncomfortable because he's mad that he's this Jonathan Papelbon guy and I'm this young kid that's having good at-bats against him. Sure enough, throws a fastball up and in, smokes me in my wrist. Like, I don't come out of the game. I broke my hand in 2012. I played the rest of the inning with my hand broke. Like, I don't come out of the game. I was always taught as a kid, you suck it up, right? I have to come out of the game. Like, my wrist is freaking not doing good. So I go underneath. We go to get x-rays. And I get x-rays. It's it's negative. So I tell the – and I'm now I'm re- I was so upset that he had hit me and all this stuff. So I tell the – I'm like, hey, listen, dude, you tell Jonathan Papelbon because it was the Boston Red Sox doctor. I said, tell Jonathan Papelbon that I think he's a bleeping douche and that he's a piece of shit. And he goes – Honestly, I don't have to tell him that because I think he knows that. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> like, thanks, Doc. I guess and we're then, done here. Yeah, I guess there was nothing past that. So that was that was that's the one notice like memorable time I got hit because it took me out of the game. I was pissed off. And then I told the doctor to tell him that he's a douche. And the doctor said, dude, it's not you're not telling him anything that he doesn't already know. So I was like, All right, well, he just sucks, so I'll get over it. And that was it. I feel like you've got to be some kind of idiot to hit someone in a big spot. Presumably this was in the ninth inning or extra. Like, you know what I mean? The kind of spot he would come into a game to put someone yeah, on but base he, like he pro- that? He probably had, he probably had I, I think if I remember correct, he had some some wiggle room. Like as far as more than, they were up by more oh, than like one. Three runs Yeah, probably three runs. And I knew that, I just, I had a feeling that he was going to, and I don't think he was trying to hit me. I think that he was trying to come in to send a message. But by sending the message, he hit me because I it, it got away from him. I don't think he was trying to put me on, but that's why it pissed me off because I knew that he was going to throw up and in to try to make me uncomfortable because I was had such a good at bat against him, and then he hit me. So that's I don't, I don't think that he was necessarily trying to hit me. I think he was trying to send the message like back me off the plate, and then he hit me. That's so stupid because that you know the price of that message is you break your hand, you play fewer games, your arb case comes up. He don't up. care. He doesn't care about. He's not putting. I know that. He, he doesn't care. I'm just in, saying that's in like, his mind. In his mind, he's going. This dude has had really good at bats against me. I'm gonna knock him down so he knows that not to be feel comfortable. I'm just saying there's like a real cost to all that like stupidity and which is sucks. part of the game. I mean, think about it. They're not thinking like that though. Definitely, no one's thinking, oh, not no. thinking like that. So it is what it is. But that's my hit by pitch story, and I I confirmed to the Boston Red Sox team doctor that he was a douche, and he said confirmed all right it is what it is that's that's words of wisdom from jp and cb applies to almost every situation and jonathan papelbon is the douche that you guys probably at home thought he was confirmed not only by jp and cb but also by a boston red sox team physician who probably spent too much time with him yep and i don't know his name but it was that's all true story thank you for fact checking me all right, so we hope that you will join us on the next episode of Digging In with JPR and Sebia, episode eight. Please subscribe at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts. There are too many to list. We look forward to entertaining you and bringing you Blue Jays news and stories next week, and hopefully I will be alive so it will come on time. Yes, be there or be a square with no hair, facial hair. Wow, that was pretty oh. cool. All right, all right. We'll see you next week, folks.